Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. I'm Rafael Difuria, back at it again to talk a little bit more about life abroad, living abroad, and living abroad specifically in Europe. And this week, I wanted to continue the discussion kind of from last week, and that was talking about some of my perspectives as an American who's been abroad for 15 years, but not just only in Europe, but other places as well. And having had experiences around the world has definitely given me a perspective based on living in other parts of the world as well makes certain things stand out to me in very clear and drastic ways. But rather than talking too much about what I'm going to talk about, let's just jump into the episode, so roll that intro. But something to me that's actually really interesting to see in Europe is that because you are so close to so many other nations, I mean, you could, in some cases, you could even walk from one country to another or ride your bike from one country to another. Or uh, I guess it's, what is it, the Netherlands and Belgium, there are some towns where one door on one side of the street is Belgium and the other side is the Netherlands or something like that. They have some enclaves and exclaves and borders that kind of cross through each other or even i've heard stories about in i think it was in this must have been belgium it could have been the netherlands but i want to say it's somewhere in this part of europe where people actually moved the door of their house so that they could have an address in the other country so that they would actually have better taxation on their income at the end of the year or even not even just that but property taxes as well Moving your door, I mean, that's pretty crazy. That maybe you could be in your bedroom in one country and theoretically your kitchen and dining room are in a whole different country. (laughs) Or there's places where you can stand where you can have one leg in one country, one leg in the other country, one arm in one country and one arm in another country where you have just like this corner where all of them meet up together. But not that that's uncommon in the world, not that it's impossible to find, but In Europe, you do have access to other places, even from where I live in Braga, Portugal, if I want to go to Vigo, Spain. We're talking about less than an hour if you go by car, just over an hour if you go by bus, to go to another part of Europe where they speak another language, they have a completely different culture, a completely different language. Okay, when we're talking about maybe Vigo to Braga, we're talking about, yes, they do have some cultural similarities and some similarities even with the language, but again, It feels different. When you are in Braga, you feel like you're in Portugal. If you know what Portugal feels like, you know the feeling of stepping into a Portuguese city. Whereas when you're in Vigo, you feel like you're in Spain, but Spain with a little bit of a different twist because Vigo has a slightly different cultural background that is absolutely fascinating. And maybe one of these days I'll end up uh, heading over there and doing a video for you guys and showing a little taste of Spain that has some really interesting cultural ties to the north of Portugal and whatever. We won't go into that in this episode. I have had many experiences here in Europe where I've been in conversations with people where it is not uncommon to speak more than one language. It's I've even met people that have said, oh, you know, the people from your country in the US, like talking about Americans, in your country, so many of you only speak English, but here in Europe, we speak at least two or three languages. Plenty of people only speak one language. This is, some people just get a little too full of themselves sometimes. But I will say that the amount of times that I meet someone that speaks at least two languages or more is not that rare. It's much more common than I feel I would meet a lot of individuals that are living in the US. Granted, there are many people who do speak multiple languages, but having the ability to not necessarily speak, but to have even basic communication in a number of languages could actually be 
necessary in your day-to-day life. Maybe you live in a place where they speak a particular dialect, but you happen to get a lot of people coming from across the border to do shopping in your region, so you need to learn their language because they don't really learn your language. Or maybe that you are doing work with other countries in Europe and you need to be able to communicate with your clients in the Czech Republic or Italy or Poland or Spain or wherever it may be. There may be certain countries in Europe where maybe people are a bit more likely to be monolingual. At least this is my opinion. I'm not going off of any numbers or facts here. This is just my perception of what I have seen over the years. And having a certain language at your disposal, at least to a minimal level, when going to these other places can be the make or break difference in having a positive experience versus a very negative experience. I mean, even plenty of times that I've been to Spain, I have not found English speakers, which is not a problem. I'm not expecting that I go to Spain and find English speakers, but having the ability to get around and communicate in Spanish makes a night and day difference when trying to travel through. Whereas when you're in Portugal, for example, having the ability to speak Portuguese is not always necessary. And even if you do speak some Portuguese and maybe someone detects a hint of an accent, they might just automatically switch into English. This just depends on where you are. And even when I've been in Germany, there are places that I've been in Germany where you definitely need to have German to be able to get through an interaction, even if it's a a basic interaction of buying a a train ticket. But then there's other places I've been to in Germany where there are plenty of people who just actually don't speak German. For example, I knew someone in Germany who was working for a German company based in Germany. He was German himself, but at the company, the language of communication was English because that's just what the company culture was. There were so many people from so many different countries that English was the common language amongst everybody, and he was not able to speak German, his native language, living in Germany at his job in Germany. I find that fascinating that that was actually the case, and this was actually a company that did um, cater to the uh, German-speaking market. You'll see that there are a lot more socialized services that are accessible in a very different way than what they would be in the U.S. I mean, when we're talking about education or healthcare specifically, you can take out a loan that maybe not even you'll be able to finish paying off in your lifetime and maybe your grandchildren might have to pick up. But let's talk about another aspect of some of the services that you can find, public services, specifically healthcare. And across the European Union, you do have national healthcare services which offer shock levels of service and the ability to be taken care of from surgeries to even a little boo-boo that you might get on your hand and just need a little band-aid for. Uh, Or even I've talked about in the past how I, I knew people that would even go to the emergency room in Italy if they just had a little tummy ache for certain things like that. Whereas in the US, I remember growing up that the emergency room was something that many people didn't think about unless it was like a life or death situation or maybe they had broken a bone. I mean, having the option to go to not only just a regular doctor, but to go to an emergency room without having to be worried if you're going to have all of these payments that you're going to have to make over the rest of your life, maybe tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars just for the doctor to walk into the room and say, oh, you've got the common cold. I mean, come on, like that is really a blessing to be able to have that kind of access. However, one of the biggest things is that Many people do have the common misconception that healthcare in Europe is free. And there is, I guess, a sense of kind of 
a technical truth to that where if you don't have the money to pay for it, you won't necessarily have to pay into the system. However, you will have to pay into it through social security, through regular taxes, and uh, both on a, depending on your country, maybe a national level or uh, a regional level, depends on the country. I mean, even in Italy, when I lived in Alto Adige, a lot of the, the, the taxes that were collected were kept locally. So even the hospitals in that part of the country were on a different level than hospitals in other parts of the country. So depending on where you are, you will see different levels of healthcare quality. So I'm not going to say that healthcare in Europe is so amazing because it's all the joy of going to the DMV while also having to deal with medical services, that there may be long waits that you will have to have, sometimes maybe anywhere from an hour to many hours sitting in a hospital room, in a, in a, in a bed, maybe even a stretcher in the hallway. I mean, I've gone into stories about this in the past where uh, there was an elderly gentleman in the town where I lived in Italy, ended up screaming and shouting for help, but because nobody had attended to him and he was unable to help himself and he was left in a hallway with nobody looking after him, he ended up soiling himself in the hall which ends up leading to an unsanitary situation for other potential patients to have to walk through. So these are things that you have to think about. Not that that's going to happen. I mean, this is definitely an extreme case. But again, you do have to think about like, if you even like, for example, where I live here in Portugal, and I know it's not uncommon, both in the, 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 the public sector, as well as to an extent, the private, that to get uh, an appointment with your regular general practitioner could take months. I mean, for example, I had uh, an appointment that was scheduled uh, for last year, and they said, oh, well, hey, sorry, your doctor is sick. And so I was like, okay, great, when can we reschedule? Oh, someone will call you next year for uh, a rescheduling. It's already months later now, and I've yet to receive a call back. But let's see, who knows? And even when I do have the chance to get that call in, it'll probably be another couple of months or a few months before I'm actually able to go and see the doctor. And from what I've heard from those who are on the private system to go and see their regular general practitioner, they have had similar experiences. Not that everybody's had those experiences. And yes, there are doctors that you can go and see and get in quite easily, but there are parts of the public system as well as the private system, which are maybe a bit overburdened. But when we're talking about healthcare and so on, when we're talking about even, for example, this week on the Italian Citizenship Podcast that I co-host with Italian attorney Marco Permunian, we talked about uh, giving birth in Italy and what are your options, what are the services available, and what actually exists, or even maternity leave, I mean, or even paternity leave, these things exist. Looking into those details and how much time is actually guaranteed to a mother to be able to take off from her work to and to not have to worry about losing her job or various factors that may come into play, that is huge to be able to have that. And whether she's a single mother or she has a partner, that can make a big difference for the ability to get by, especially with the cost of living everywhere going up. And I mean, even here in Portugal, for example, there's talks about now how Portugal might be getting to kind of the, the end of this bubble and the bubble may burst. But if that's true or not, we'll see. But 
there have been bubbles before in the real estate market in Nigeria, and it's definitely something that could be good for some people who are having that difficulty of getting into an apartment for rent or for purchase, whatever. But of course, when a bubble bursts, there could be some side effects that end up trickling through the system. But if we're talking about maternity leave, kind of thinking about that aspect of time off, one thing that's actually really interesting to me is how in Europe, especially when we get to like about August time, everything just shuts down. Not everything, everything, but a lot does shut down. And you will find that people will take not just like a couple of days of vacation, but a month, month and a half of vacation away from their work completely. I mean, I know of even offices where they ask people specifically not to take off that time and they'll give them the time off during another part of the year so that they're able to keep up and allow their services to continue during that time. Because, I mean, imagine you're running a business of any sort and you close your doors for a month. Just the potential walkthrough services, that theoretically could be a huge hit if you're only having your doors open for 11 or 10 and a half months out of the year. But also this leads to, I would say, a time of the year that I would also avoid going on vacation if possible because everybody else is taking their vacation then. And you'll notice if you're in a touristy location, there's going to be a wave of different tourists coming through at different times. Like maybe the it's the French are all taking their vacation time or the Germans are all taking their vacation time. The Italians are getting their vacation time. And you'll see the different waves of people coming through a place. It's actually kind of funny to see when you are living in a more touristy location. Not that it goes for all touristy locations because it depends on, of course, where you're living and uh, who are the tourists that are more likely Likely to come where you are. But if you are looking to take vacations during that time of the year, when it also happens to be probably the hottest time in Europe, and maybe even quite unpleasant in many parts of Europe, you will find that the beaches will be packed. You will find that tourist centers will be absolutely packed. And having to deal with traveling through airports and this and that, I mean, when everybody's taking a vacation at the same time, of course, they're going for the same services, they're going for the same airports, the same this, the same that, the taxis, whatever it may be. Things can get a little bit annoying during that time if you are trying to take some time off or even if you're not trying to take time off and you're living your daily life and trying to walk through the streets of your own town where you live. And it's like, oh, again with the tourists, okay, waiting for the low season to come through. But this is not unique to Europe that you have tourist centers or places where more tourists happen to come and they can get annoying for people. But definitely in August, things can get a little bit packed. But it is really interesting for me to see how interconnected the European countries are, but at the same time, they're quite separate. But at the same time, you do see how things happening in one country can affect another. I mean, even with the migrant crisis, that was definitely a a case of seeing how maybe the countries that were seeing themselves as the kind of travel through country on the way to the destination were seeing people lining up at their borders. And so even if it's not necessarily direct or indirect like that, you do even see like, for example, when you're in the supermarket, you might see this pasta is from Italy, but this other pasta is from France, or this sauce is from this country, the sauce is from that country, just walking through your regular supermarket, not like that it's a special imported item. It's just 
this is the item that's available at the supermarket because this is what they happen to carry. Or maybe that they will have a special Italian labeled something or other, a special French labeled something, a special Swedish labeled, but maybe it's made down the road. <laughs> it could be like that. I mean, granted, that exists also in other places in the world where they do an Italian style thing. Like in the States, you see that all the time. I mean, let's not get started with that one. That's a very dangerous topic, which gets very complicated very quickly. But... If you do want to have those wonderful Italian delights, you go to a, a specialty store. Sometimes here, you don't have to go to a specialty store. You just go to the store. Anyway, this is where I'm going to round out things for this week. But before I round this week's episode off, if you're interested in a part three of things that I've noticed through American eyes after... 15 going on 16 years abroad about some of the differences of what you see in life in Europe, feel free to let me know down in the comment section below here on YouTube. Or if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms or watching this as a video podcast on Spotify, feel free to come over to YouTube and let me know down in the comment section below. Of course, as well, a huge thank you to those of you who helped this project to be able to continue, whether it's on the monthly basis through patreon.com slash rafaeldifuria or the one-time support through rafaeldifuria.com slash support or the thanks button here on YouTube. Of course, as always, I'm Rafael Di Furia. Stay safe and healthy out there, and I will see you all next time for another episode of Not Your Average Globetrotter. Later.